0: Welcome to the IEEE Brain Podcast Series, an IEEE digital studio production. This episode is held in conjunction with the IEEE Electron Devices Society. Today we're joined by Brad Amony, a leading researcher into neomorphic computing at Sandia National Laboratories. Brad discusses his work in computational and theoretical neuroscience focused on bridging the gap between next generation computing technology and neuroscience. Brad, thank you for taking time to contribute to the IEEE Brain Podcast Series. To get started, can you tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Yes, so uh, my name is Brad Imani. I'm a neuroscientist by training. My position is at Sandia National Laboratories, where I'm a distinguished member of the technical staff. And I've been at Sandia for a little bit over 10 years now. Uh, my back uh, Before that, I was at in San Diego doing a postdoc and my PhD work in computational neuroscience. So my background is actually as a neuroscientist, uh, but since I got to Sandia, I've been working in the computer computing research group there doing neuromorphic computing.
0: So Brad, what are some of the more recent advancements in brain devices?
1: Yeah, so I've been working in brain inspired computing or neuromorphic computing, you know, for the last decade or so. And one of the things that is is pretty exciting about what's going on now in the field is there's been both work at the sort of system level where people are building brain-like computing hardware at, you know, out of normal transistors and typical CMOS um, circuit design. But are able to configure those circuits into, you know, large-scale architectures that are more brain-like in how they process information, and then there's a lot of work at the same time, at the device and materials level, looking for new technologies that behave more naturally like neurons. So one of the challenges is that you know computers today typically are you know, used, you know, silicon transistors, which are not, don't necessarily match very closely to how our brains process information. But a lot of these new materials and devices, things like uh, resistive memory switches like memristors or electrochemical RAM or MOT MOT, MOT memristors, uh, these have dynamics at the device level that look more similar to what a synapse might be or a neuron action potential might look like. So one of the the nice interesting things to be studying is how we might be able to build these devices together into circuits that are more brain-like in their behavior.
0: And what are some of the key challenges uh, you face in the development of new brain devices?
1: Well, there are a lot. So one of the very interesting things that's happening in the community in recent years is realizing that there are challenges at really all scales of the microelectronics stack, right? So one, of you know, there's challenges at the material science level, you know, what is the particular, you know, transition metal that one might want to use in in building these devices. But then there's, the, there are challenges in actually understanding the, you know, precision of these devices, how much information they can store, um, how we might access these devices. Um, and then there are challenges in understanding how to you know, really what is a good device in general, right? Are the synapses in our brains are, you know, they're not single devices. They're complex organic structures um, from, you know, that have kind of a combination of electrical and chemical behaviors. And so we're trying to, to mimic that in some way using device physics and understanding what makes a good synaptic device is still an open question coming from the neuroscience side as well. So we're learning a lot about, you know, what that you know what makes for a good synaptic device in some ways. And um, one of the things that is of particular interest today are you know projects that that I work on and others is actually how do you incorporate the stochasticity of the brain into our devices in a good way? So noisy devices are something that people in engineering and device physics try to overcome. You try to reduce the noise in your device. But our brain uses noise to its advantage. So one of the challenges that we would like to do from the device, um, can neuromorphic device side, is how do we incorporate the right type of stochasticity into our devices that we can use in the way that the brain is using it? So that's just one example. And across all of these different device um, technologies that are being used in neuromorphic research today, there's similar sorts of questions about What is the right type of brain inspiration to use? And at what point do we set that brain inspiration aside and we optimize based on what we can do from the engineering side?
0: So what are your views on emerging devices being built into a systems architecture?
1: Yeah, so one of the challenges that I think the field is coming to terms with today is that it it's not enough just to have devices that look like synapses or devices that look like neurons, but rather you need to somehow combine them into higher level structures that are more similar to how the brain functions. So our brain has, you know, billions of neurons, each of those billions of neurons has thousands or tens of thousands of synapses and they're wired together in very sophisticated circuits and architectures. And the, the, Those details matter um, in terms of how you get many synapses onto a single neuron. And if you start moving into a 2D microelectronic substrate where I want to combine synaptic devices onto some other type of device that might emulate neuron behavior, and then I want to connect that structure onto a lot of other similar circuits. There is a whole host of new challenges one has to deal with. And that doesn't even incorporate things like learning and plasticity, where we know the brain changes over time. How do these electrical circuits now, how would they change over time? So I think there's a lot of interesting work going on now in being smart about how to actually assemble more brain-like circuits out of these brain-like devices, and then eventually moving into... You know, larger systems and architectures that would allow people to do things at large scales. So at a
0: working level, how do you see that possibly happening?
1: Yeah, so I think if I wanted to expand on where I see this impacting things, I think that the direction where most people are pointing with these neuromorphic technologies is towards computing applications, where you might be able to get more brain-like computation either in a you know high-performance computing setting or data center or a cell phone or a smart sensor where in a sense you, you want to be able to do things like artificial intelligence at you know, high levels of capability similar to what our brains can do, but do it in a way that does not You know, demand a considerable amount of electricity, right? Both in terms of a saving in energy costs, in terms of kind of in a direct way, as well as in long term climate costs. So, a lot of the current technologies for artificial intelligence are incredibly expensive in terms of the amount of power consumption required. And that's something that these neuromorphic chips ideally will be able to contribute to greatly is being able to do things at the energy costs that our brains have. Um, So I think that's where a lot of the kind of long-term, you know, medium-term really impact is aimed towards.
0: So Brad, how do new technologies such as AI and machine learning play in neuroscience?
1: I think that's a very interesting challenge and question for the neuromorphic computing community. Uh, one of the things that as a neuroscientist working in this field, but one who's done and machine learning research in the past, um, the AI and machine learning field, while they're looking at things like neural networks, they are very different in terms of what they are trying to do today than what our brains do. So while the words neural networks conjure up images of the neural networks within our brains, I think most people don't really appreciate how different a state-of-the-art neural network is from the computation that's occurring within our brains. And this is something that the brain-inspired device researchers um, have to to work through, where we might build a device or an architecture that looks like something that's going to be useful for neural networks, and that actually may not be the best thing to do for a neuroscience-inspired technology or an application. Um, On the other hand, something that we build that might look more brain like, such as a spiking neuron device, is not going to naturally fit into today's neural network technologies or applications. And so that's something that we're really trying to look at the intersection of three different fields here, um, machine learning, neuroscience, and device physics, and trying to figure out where Um, where these three different fields should intersect. And the answers are not always obvious. And so it makes for very interesting conversations.
0: Brad, how do you see the IEEE Brain Initiative helping to advance the neuroscience space?
1: Yes, I've recently joined the IEEE Electron Device Society uh, working group around neuromorphic computing. And I think one of the things that um, IEEE is very well positioned to help with is in fact in working on these sort of intersections, right, and trying to reach across communities um, such as, say, device physicists and the neural network community, both of which have had kind of longstanding, you know, membership and and work within IEEE, um, but often these fields have been somewhat distinct. And so, you know, both, you know, professional societies like IEEE as well as others such as um for Neuroscience, um, beginning to work together and help bridge those boundaries, I believe, is going to have a major um, contribution to, to advancing brain-inspired computing.
0: Brad, thank you again for taking time to speak with us today. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share?
1: I think the one thing I'll, I'd will i like to maybe emphasize um, to people who are listening is that this is a very new field and a lot of opportunities. There are, There are very few people out there today who can genuinely say that they are, you know, have a you know extensive amount of work in every aspect of brain-inspired computing. In fact, we're all kind of coming to this field from a different direction, and we're trying to work together. and It's been a very exciting group of researchers um, bringing in their expertise, and as such, there's a lot of opportunities for people to join the field bring in whatever their knowledge base is and their sort of prior um, expertise to develop something new. So this is something that is a growing field and it's a exciting opportunity for new faces and new collaborations to, to come about.
0: Thank you for listening to our interview with Brad Amony. To learn more about the IEEE Brain Initiative, please visit our web portal at brain.ieee.org.